0: Thank you for tuning in to the 1st Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Well, hello again. It's been a little bit longer than I'd hoped when this was recorded. Um, Stretching out that weekly part of the weekly podcast. Uh, My apologies. You guys know I'm busy doing all sorts of things right now. Uh, One of those things, though this is the main reason why it's taken me so long is uh i'm now able to hunt much more easily after work and so uh this is my firearm season this year is going on right now the iowa early muzzleloader season and um i haven't tagged a deer yet but don't think that's because i'm not seeing them in fact um i probably could have tagged close to 10 deer by now um but Aside from one, which we're going to talk about here very soon in the episode of Hunt Therapy, I've uh, just chosen not to shoot them. Um, one, I tried to shoot and it just didn't work out. Uh, classic Kent blunder that you'll get to hear all about. But the rest, truly that. Just content to sit, watch, enjoy, and be thankful that I'm in that position, you know, where I get to be out there hunting the, the ground I live on and getting to, um, I don't know, maybe enjoy the sense of accomplishment that comes from working so hard at studying these critters and trying to figure out how to hunt them better uh you know if you're a fellow first gen hunter you've probably had a little taste of that here or there and it just feels really good when you can start to uh, put those things together and see the evidence of doing so and so i really enjoyed that i will give you this much information though beyond that i saw a really nice buck tonight in fact i saw two nice bucks but one in particular was a really nice buck i'm actually gonna try and get the drop on him tomorrow Um, it all goes in with one of my theories for hunting this time of year has to do with crop rotation and uh, travel routes and uh, the amount of light in the sky at the time it's a complex theory (laughs) it's probably all wrong but the evidence that i've seen for it seems to uh seems to stack up pretty well so i'll have to give you some more insight on that i think i've probably mentioned it to some degree in previous episodes but i'll have to give you some more information on that uh during that hunt therapy episode we have coming up soon uh that that should uh bring that all back into play but uh, man, it's just been good to be out hunting again, people. You know, despite all the craziness of life's transitions going on right now. And, of course, uh, about to get a whole lot busier here with a, a brand new baby girl coming in less than two months. Uh, it's uh, just, uh, you know, a nice to get out there and uh, catch up with your thoughts. Enjoy the beautiful... Creation around you, and uh, seeing all kinds of critters—from pheasants to deer, of course, to bald eagles, and even tonight, a skunk. And uh, <laughs> if you've been following me long enough, you know that I have uh, more than an occasional run-in with skunks. And so uh, that was kind of—that was kind of interesting tonight, but. I won't keep blabbering here. It's just good to be talking to you guys. i got to be honest. Sometimes you get caught up in, in talking to you because uh, you're kind of my captive audience. But I need to get on to here to Episode 71, Mr. Bob St. Pierre from Pheasants Forever. Really, and in a big way, the voice. Of pheasants forever and uh, bob was kind enough to donate some of his time to the show and just share some of his experiences share an accurate and hopeful and uh, uh, putting all the chips on the table kind of optimistic view on uh, where things are headed for upland hunting here in north america and really just uh, fill us in on some of the strategies and successes that have already been seen and used well in such a great conservation advocacy organization that is Pheasants Forever. So without me yammering on here any longer, let's go ahead and jump into episode number 71, an interview with Mr. Bob St. Pierre here on the One and Only First Gen Hunter podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Well, folks, it's great to be talking with you and kind of keeping with the theme of recording at times that we usually don't record podcasts at for whatever reason. Maybe it's because a co-host can't be there in time. Maybe it's because I can't be there in time. Maybe it's because I'm busy uh, trying to keep my kids from fighting with each other or keep my kids from bullying the dogs or whatever. But uh, today, it's just cool to be here at this point in the day right after work. Been looking forward to it all day, sitting here, talking with another guest here on the First Gen Hunter podcast, and this guest is Mr. Bob St. Pierre of Pheasants Forever. Bob, thank you so much for giving me some of your uh, late afternoon here, pushing back supper maybe another hour, and uh, (laughs) joining the show.
1: No problem. The dogs are going to get a little bit later walk this evening, (laughs) a little twilight walk, but... You know
0: what? We're still going to get it in and all's right with the world. Uh, Hey, you know, if we start hearing your dogs pacing in the background, I don't know, you might've heard my dog's toenails clicking around on the hardwood floor (laughs) outside the door already. It'll be, uh, it'll be editing on both, on both ends. But at the same time, you know, I kind of feel like it legitimizes us a little bit, you know, where people can tell that we're we actually, uh, do own bird dogs and, uh, we're, we're not just making the whole thing up. So
1: authenticity, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: Actually in the last episode that I just, I just, uh, published, uh, uh, yesterday, um, I had to tell everyone, uh, sorry, you know, there might be some loud background noise right now because a combine was driving by my house. <laughs> it's a, uh, <laughs> so people know that i truly live in iowa when uh you have to you have to break for a combine but uh no it's uh it's fantastic to have you on the show um you know i'm always honored by the generosity that people extend giving this time up so i don't want to make light of that and uh it really is a cool thing to have you here i'm going to nerd out just a little bit here for uh, our guests. Um I've been listening to Bob for uh, several years now on his show uh on the wing uh Pheasant's Forever podcast and uh I've been listening to him yeah I think for probably 3 years now and uh, just enjoy the the content that you put out there. Have I seen you on a, any episodes of um The Flush? Have you ever have you ever joined any episodes of that?
1: oh yeah yeah um, yeah Travis has uh, he tried to get me on at least once a year so I've been on a, a few episodes of the flush and even back in the predecessor of the flush it was called pheasants forever television I've Done okay. some of those shows so um, yeah I'm I've got a face made for radio so I spend most of my time. <laughs> <laughs> um, on, on podcasts and, and on KFAN do a radio show but uh, um, yeah this is uh, opportunities like this are tremendous so thank you for having me on to talk about the organization on behalf of our, our volunteers you know this is really the, the, the credit to the organization really should be placed squarely on the backs of you know the 130,000 members and in particular the 4,000 volunteers who you know, hold chapter banquets and do projects. And I'm lucky enough to be sort of the spokesperson for all of those hardworking volunteers who give their time, their money, you know, their blood, sweat and tears on behalf of a conservation organization, two conservation organizations, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. So I'm really, really proud to, to serve those volunteers and, and be able to do podcasts like uh, like yours at the drop of a hat, man, anytime that we could talk <laughs> talk about habitat and the uplands and, um, this noble cause of conservation, um, you know, more than happy to jump on and do so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, I gotta say, I, I, and maybe I'm biased because I'm a, am uh, a member of Pheasants Forever, but as great as all these other organizations are that are out there, uh, some, I, I, uh, belong to or have belonged to as well um pheasants forever does a really outstanding job um with all the things you just mentioned getting out there in these different avenues you know being having the tv show uh the podcast uh uh you know of course the classic you know banquets and and fundraisers but really cool volunteer events things that go just you know, beyond kind of the expected and Mm. uh, it's fun to see pheasants forever show up in different places. So we'll get into that a little bit more though, here uh, some other unique things about the organization that I think uh, really makes them the gold standard for um, uh, these uh, conservation advocacy groups. But, uh, let's start right away with uh, your role there at Pheasants Forever. And maybe even uh, we know that roles at workplaces can evolve through time. So maybe uh, what you started out doing, maybe you're still doing that. But uh, how, how did you uh, come along to uh, be a part of Pheasants Forever and and uh, really make a career of uh, serving conservation in that way?
1: Sure. <clears throat> well, I'll try to... Shrink down my life journey of uh, <laughs> four decades into, uh, into just maybe four minutes. But um, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I grew up as a bird hunter, although I uh, grew up in the woods, chasing rough grouse. Sure. Um, ended up in Minnesota through college and got a job in minor league baseball, working in, in marketing and public relations for the St. Paul Saints minor league baseball okay. team. Very here. cool. And um, – a buddy, well, two buddies of mine from Escanaba, my hometown in the U.P. Um, one of them moved to the Twin Cities after college and worked as a chemical engineer. And okay. another one, also a chemical engineer. I, I don't know how I get engineers <laughs> as buddies, because that's furthest from my aptitude. But uh, another buddy, a chemical engineer, got a job in uh, Mason City, Iowa. Okay. And uh, so... Three single guys, youpers, uh, you know, during the fall, like, what do you get together to do? We got together and went down to southern Iowa and went pheasant hunting. There it is. And go. that's so, uh, well, not southern Iowa, northern Iowa. So I learned to uh, pheasant hunt um, in northern Iowa with a couple of youper buddies of mine and um, I became a member, um, started attending banquets and um, about seven years into my career in, in minor league baseball, you know, it was wonderful, but you spend every single day of the summer at the ballpark, which yeah. again, isn't like breaking rocks, but <laughs> you know, it, I didn't get to fish for seven years really. And mm-hmm. then the fall hunting season was when you started selling outfield billboards and logo baseball nights. So my hunting opportunities were really curtailed too um so i was i was starting to look for okay what's my next career step and um i had two job opportunities in the uh, fall winter of uh 2002 and one was to be the director of marketing for the detroit tigers which was eye-popping because yeah my childhood team and you know i've named my my first bird dog after Alan Trammell, Hall of Fame shortstop for the tigers. And, wow. and it, it, so tigers are, I mean, you, if you follow me on social media, you see, uh, I, am a Magnum PI wannabe with how often I wear a uh, Detroit tigers hat. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, but the second job offer was to be the director of public relations with pheasants forever. And 18 and a half years ago, I, I made What was at the time the hardest decision of my life, but it has turned out to be one of the greatest decisions. And obviously I went to work for Pheasants Forever, director of PR in in January 6th, 2003. Um, And it is, I've never looked back. It's been just a wonderful experience to uh, work on behalf of, as I mentioned at the beginning, volunteers, volunteers. on, for this really noble cause of conservation in the United States. And, you know, it been part of 2005, the creation of Quail Forever. Um, and it just some amazing things, 200,000 acres of land acquisitions that are now mm. open to the public, um, a couple of farm bills creating habitat and, you know, millions of acres yeah. of CRP. Um, it's just something that... I, you know, baseball always be something I'm. You know, I follow in the newspaper on the box score, but conservation is so much a part of the fabric of my lifestyle. Who I am, my working, waking every moment of my life sort of revolves around it. You know, we talk about bird dogs. My my wife and I have unfortunately never been able to have kids, so you know, we put all of our. Uh, love and passion into anthropomorphizing our bird dogs (laughs) there you go um you know they're probably spoiled as much as any bird dogs but you know it does i have you know the opportunity to sort of live what i preach on the weekends and you know follow those bird dogs around different states chasing a variety of different birds and and uh you know come back to work on monday and you know, think about those experiences and how an organization like ours with, you know, 300 biologists and 4,000 chapter volunteers are are making a really positive impact on not only the birds that I put in the bag, but, you know, you see the habitat that we put out there for access, um, how that habitat is benefiting the entire web of life. You know, pheasants and yeah. quail, center of the bullseye, no doubt about it. But, you know, pollinators and, and grasshoppers and uh, waterfall and mule deer. And yeah. I was in I was in North Dakota earlier this season walking through a cattail slough with a buddy. And it, it, he got through this opening and there was a moose. Wow. On the other side <laughs> of the- I mean, how many times have you been pheasant hunting and seen a moose? <laughs> Um, yeah, that is so, uh, you know, in there, we have these properties in Montana that we've created, the Teton Wildlife Area. And, you know, there's moose there, there's mule deer, sage grouse, uh, you know, sharptails, pheasants. And, so, and, and the water quality, soil health, cl- you know, carbon sequestration, climate resiliency. And you know what? It's all fun. And, mm-hmm. You know, we're everything we do has really really good for the planet really good for humankind and we're doing things that people care about in their free time and you know it's it's such an important cause but it's also you know it plays in the margins of what makes people happy you know when when people and i don't mean to sound morbid it's kind of the exact opposite but like when chapter volunteers uh pass away, and they want to be buried in caskets that have the Pheasants Forever, the Quail Forever Mm -hmm. logo engraved, or they put a tattoo on their body of the logo, or there's this guy in Pennsylvania that has a logo on their their tooth.
0: Wow. And
1: (laughs) And then you think about how you're, you know, me, I'm collecting a paycheck to do um, something that people are putting the logo on what they want to be buried on, you know yeah. what what they the most important thing in their life, what makes them happiest they, that this organization, pheasants forever and quail forever is are uh, responsible for some of the most important memorable components of people's lives yeah. you know that really is a tremendous reminder of how how important this job is and how how much this mission means yeah not only not only for putting birds in the bag but something so much larger it's the human experience it's the fabric of americana
0: yeah that, that's beautifully said <laughs> i think that just kind of sums up you know the best parts of hunting for for a. Uh those of us who can't get enough of it. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, there's, there's many of us out there and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, what, when are we our happiest, you know, it's not just in that moment of where you get a squeeze off a shot and you, you, uh, connect with the rooster. Yeah, that's a high point for sure. But, um, it's, it's, uh, the whole process of it, even, even during the off season, you know, in a recent episode of, uh, of, of guy who's often on the show with me, he uh we were talking about how a lot of the skills, you know, somebody who may be wanting to get into hunting, they've they've done the fishing, they've done the backpacking, they've done the camping, the hiking, all of that. How those skills can transfer over and how you can enjoy them it, even out of season he saw he was like yeah that's called scouting season (laughs) and so so uh even uh you know even when we aren't actually doing the act of hunting Mm -hmm. um we find so much value in those other parts of it that that you mentioned there you know especially when you start getting into this idea of you know conserving everything from pheasants all the way down to grasshoppers and and uh I like the point you made about the moose um, yeah it's just uh it's a full picture and something that can can uh i don't know take a huge part of our life and make it more significant i think when we're uh participating in it you know you just you, you live in the moment
1: yeah well even i even think about all the leopold's a sand county almanac mm. and how how tremendous how far ahead of his time he was yeah. but I, I, I in the comment or the section i'm thinking about in particular is how he talks about americans <clears throat> really need to recognize that food doesn't come from the grocery yeah. store right that this this package of chicken was once a living thing that was dependent upon the land and to me that resonates every time i sit you know i, I dig in the freezer and a pet peeve of mine is you know, if you got birds in the freezer from last year, don't let them die a second death as freezer yeah, burn. That's get, right. get that bird out of the freezer. But then think about that entire experience, as you talked about, from preseason, right? Like you're holding that package of pheasant or that package of quail, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. You think about training your bird dog in April and May, right? And then that scouting figuring out where the habitat is gonna produce the birds you know right the hunt making that clean shot and having that bird bring back to retrieve and then you got that you know preparing that meal what's gonna pair with it what's the side dish right memorializing that entire experience then you think back and you're like remember you know, Gitchy's Point and that retrieve, and <laughs> God where you know where I was in North Dakota when I when I brought that bird to hand, and I should have you know wild rice and lingonberries on the side, and you know it's just it, it enriches the whole experience, and I think that's what you know Aldo was talking about. You know, we we take for granted like these these every single day meals, right? Yeah. With a package yeah. of chicken, but. <sighs> as hunters and anglers, I think we we don't take them as for granted. You know, we do recognize the habitat work that went into that bird, the life that bird lived, the hard work it took to get that bird to hand, and how important that entire spherical um, relationship with our land and that animal is to produce sustenance for us. And the same is true water quality and air quality and soil. Mm. You
0: know, it's it's
1: like, you know, in college, we all learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. right? Yep. Yep. And pheasants forever and quail forever, like, checks the box on all those. Food, right? Water, you know, shelter, habitat, you know, making a planet a more sustainable, better place to live. It's like conservation is where it's at. So yeah. not to, sorry to go like,
0: no, that's, complete that, on I there. love it. That, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad it's good to see that you have a thoroughly thought out reason for why you do what you do every day and, uh, why it's valuable. And I agree. It's, it's, it's so much more beyond just hunting, which is where I think people can kind of, uh, lose track of what organizations like pheasants forever, how valuable they are. They think, oh, they're just saving birds so they can shoot birds or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it's, that's, that's a very, you know, sure. It's, it, it makes the cover of the magazine a lot, but it's, it's a, it's a fraction of uh, what, what's behind it and the value that there is there that is present there within, uh, everything that that pheasants forever quail forever put forward you know and
1: I think I think all hunters intrinsically feel that I think in the last mm. you know five to ten years we've gotten better as a community of articulating it uh, I, I I believe you know, eating wild game is not something new right, right. I mean, we, yeah. we've always talked about Well, we got to fill the freezer with venison, you know, and I mean that's been true since the age of cavemen (laughs) or Neanderthals, right? (laughs) Right. right. Um, But we've gotten better about articulating it as an outdoor hunting and fishing community. This isn't, um, you know, this the the chase is part of it, but um, it's not the end of the story.
0: No. Yeah, I like that a lot. You know, as we talk here about conservation, this is an area where, you know, a true natural purist may be going, yeah, but pheasants, they're not from here. And uh, I know what my answer is here and I'm a, I'm a uh, science teacher. So I have to think through these things and articulate them pretty Mm. often. And I'm sure you guys get asked this question often enough to where you have to articulate it. And so uh, (laughs) I, I'd be, uh, I'd be real curious to hear, um, you know, why is it that, yes, we have this uh, bird that comes from the other side of the globe, Mm. but uh, you know, is part of the Americana fabric, you know, from really, when when you think back to probably the most nostalgic era of America, and this is just, you know, (laughs) my own personal thinking here. So it could be totally different from person to person, but I think of like that, and I referenced this earlier when we were talking, but almost that Norman Rockwell era you know you see the old you know some some autumnal picture got an old broken down uh uh what were they single cylinder or or two-cylinder my grandpa's probably shaking his head at me right now if he's listening to this uh tractor broken down in the field you know and then you got yeah you got a couple you got like a nice buck standing off in the background and then you got a couple of pheasants flushing out of a fence row while uh you know a, a guy and his son are out there pheasant hunting or something like that but we get this this uh this picture of pheasants as just being a part of what hmm. classic all-american you know ideas and memories are, are in nostalgia are all about, but they aren't from here. And, Mm. and uh, you know, why is it important that uh, we try so hard to conserve this species here Mm. in America?
1: So first of all, I don't get asked this question hardly ever anymore. Oh, really? Which is, which, which <laughs> you must probably, be doing a good job
0: of answering it then. <laughs> well,
1: I, you know, I think it, it speaks to your your perception there, right? That it's the ringneck pheasant has become an icon of America's breadbasket, in mm-hmm. particular. It's synonymous with John Deere tractors and in farm country. When you, yeah, when you think about autumn in Iowa autumn in the Dakotas, autumn in Minnesota, Nebraska, Kansas, Montana, you think harvest, you know, it's yep. combine, John Deere combines and corn and roosters flushing out the end. <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Uh, you do. I mean, it, you think about families get back together, kids come home from college, families come home for Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving – dinner is preceded by a family pheasant hunt in many of these places you know how much more american can can, you you make it right right. you know the reality is we're a melting pot country anyways right Mm -hmm. and you know pheasants are not native here but they're embraced um nonetheless and they're not like zebra mussels they're not coming (laughs) in here as an invasive screwing up an ecosystem. Right. In, in fact, you know they're the exact opposite, they have become the face of the Federal Conservation Reserve Program. Mm. So if you think back to 1985 when CRP was created, mm-hmm. you know, it CRP has led to a boom in in pheasant numbers, which has helped sharp tails which has helped prairie chickens which has helped sage grouse you know that just the reality is there's you know in a really good year 2 million pheasant hunters in america mm. and and that demand for healthy habitat for pheasant numbers have really helped uh, you know pull up the demand for habitat for all sorts of species so yeah so it's something where, yeah, they're not from here, but, um, a lot of us aren't either. And, right. uh, they're, they're <laughs> Good embraced point. as, uh, <laughs> as really part of the fabric. And then, you know, you, you add quail to the mix and, you know, a lot of folks at you know, like, well, why did we add quail forever? And what you, what you get when you added quail forever in 05 is truly a national organization. Right. And, You know, if you think about middle part of the country and out west as being kind of the the primary quail range and then middle part of the country in north is the pheasant range. The best friend for quail are pheasants and the best friend for for pheasants are quail. Right. Because now we can go into that senator's office in Georgia and talk to her or him about CRP and have it be relevant. Right or yeah. vice versa. Yep. Talk about CRP, its senator's office in Montana, and it's relevant across the country. Quail forever, yes, it, a native species has made pheasants forever stronger, and vice versa. Creation of quail forever in 05 has made pheasants forever leaps and bounds stronger. Now we are truly the loudest voice, largest voice for the uplands, coast to coast, north to south, east to west all demographics um and together you know pheasants quail can lead the way for sharp tails and prairie chickens and sage grouse and lessers and and huns and and everything that uh, we all yeah. cherish chasing behind bird dogs and as you know the point i made earlier it's not just the upland game birds that benefit it's honeybees right. and monarch butterflies and horned toads and gopher tortoises and and that's something else that i think we've gotten better at articulating over the last say five to ten years is you know we all learned about the web of life in third grade and now we relearn it again as adults and and connect the dots a little bit better
0: yeah 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 very well said yeah and and i like your point too you know it's uh, we don't really look at it from our perspective either you know we as we as humans you know we're an intrusion on ecosystems more than any other <laughs> species out mm-hmm. there and in fact a lot of those those uh intrusive invasions from invasive species they uh our result of our own activity, so that's a that's an excellent point. That was not that was not previously a part of my uh, <laughs> well my it, uh, argument. So that's a good one to there, add in there.
1: Know, the other piece that uh, and you, you you brought it up uh, about humans kind of changing the balance and at the radio show I do with the Captain Billy Hildebrand in the Twin Cities, we have a naturalist stand Tequila on every other week, and one of the things he always says. Is the only constant about Mother Nature is it's always changing, right? Whether, yeah. and you could talk about, you know, climate. You could talk about invasives or exotics. Like um, the ebb and flow of nature since the dawn of time, has been change, and yeah. the pheasant has been brought about change in the form of tremendous passion for the uplands. And has brought with it enthusiasm from Americans all over this country to care about habitat. And that's led to amazing things on the landscape for for folks that will never carry a shotgun behind a bird dog. And so the challenge is getting that message, that understanding of, yeah, the blaze orange vests and bird dogs and shotguns. Are you know this army of of volunteers are improving water quality and mm. creating habitat for honeybees and and getting that message into the audience of folks that are skeptical about. Oh, you're just going to shoot a bunch of pheasants. Why, you know, why should I care? So getting right. getting that message in front of kind of the nontraditional, different audiences, particularly urban, so they understand the North American model for wildlife and and all the benefits that organizations like ours and Ducks Unlimited and Rocky Mountain Elk, and Nature Conservancy, you you name it, um, bring to the you know society at large.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very well, very well said. Yeah, you know, and the landscape, especially you know where I live here, the landscape uh, here is so modified from what mm. was originally natural that um, <laughs> you know the the majority of our landscape is is non-native species, mm. and so uh, certainly pheasants belong at the table. And what the modern landscape for, I like how you said it, the bread basket. Of our of our country, mm-hmm. they belong, and uh, I agree. All this other stuff that trickles down from the uh, uh, charisma of the pheasant, mm-hmm. you know, of the ringneck pheasant, just what it brings along with that, absolutely. And you know, with quail, they do belong here, and uh, they have quite the interesting uh, story as well mm-hmm. in America, just from man's use of land and how that how that changed, and and uh, really for a short while there expanded the range of of um of quail here in uh, the midwest and how quickly that went away once land use <laughs> changed again and they kind of retreated back to their natural ranges and, and so forth but but yeah it's such a such a uh interesting thing and certainly a uh, good mascot for (laughs) upland conservation is the uh, ring neck pheasant they they really have rallied that support and i I think that's an excellent explanation for um for that well you know you talked about how you got into pheasant hunting here in uh, my home state of iowa and um as much good things as we just said about pheasants um, they're kind of a sad story in some regards here in Iowa. Now, thankfully, um, I know you guys are, are well in tune with uh, um, the most recent every year. Uh, I think it's every year you guys uh, talk with a guy that I've had on here before, Mr. Todd mm-hmm. Bogenschutz from uh, the Iowa DNR, who's the state upland biologist. Such a smart guy, mm-hmm. by the way. I love talking with Todd. He's he's a he's a good no dude. And, and uh, you know, the last couple roadside surveys here in Iowa have been really good um, possibly for reasons that may not be so good. We talked a little bit about climate implications and we've had some really uh, mild winters and some pretty dry springs that have allowed for uh, more birds to survive the winter. And of course, more chicks to survive the hatch and, and everything. And uh, so those numbers have gone up in past years, but compared to um 50, years ago even 20 i was yeah yeah it Mm pre-2006 and if uh you know your ag history well you know that uh right about that time uh we uh started really making a push for biofuel and a lot of acres that weren't tilled became tilled a lot of pheasant habitat um uh, went under and um you know it's it's kind of a sad story as far as pheasants go here in Iowa. Uh, This was long before I was hunting. Um, I was aware of it back then, which is kind of cool. You know, I'm living in the farmhouse that my grandfather grew up in and lived his whole life in. And so, uh, you know, sometimes pheasant hunters would come out and they'd want to hunt here. And I didn't, my my dad didn't hunt and then and uh so i didn't get a chance to experience that but i got to see it and just see how wow people want to be here for this this is important you know people traveling from out of state i was aware of you know coming down from wisconsin to hunt here and things like that but um you know it it uh isn't that way anymore it's not don't get me wrong i'll have a lot of fun pheasant hunting here in iowa this fall but um from what i've heard at one time it was kind of a uh, there was a strong debate there you know iowa south dakota where you want to go and it is far from that now in most places here in iowa so um you know how has with not just iowa in in the topic here but how has pheasant hunting kind of changed mm. throughout your lifetime that you've been hunting pheasants okay all you fellow first gen hunters veteran hunters and anyone else with a great big fat hunting dream that you have not yet tapped into i'm talking directly to you right now and this is a personal testimony you you're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth and that is because i am a customer of good old alex gruen over at east west hunts and i'm going to tell you right now there is not a better hunt planning service in the business here is how thorough Alex is I'm just going to give you that that first-person testimonial that hopefully will help seal the deal for you after I get done recording this ad I'm going to use a promo code that Alex sent to me via text message to save me big bucks on a really nice hunting pack that I've had my eye on for months now and uh, he just kind of came up with this promo code just yesterday got it in the mail or something he said you know what i'm going to save this for you i know you got your eye on this pack he sent it to me alex has sent me workout tips alex has been there around the clock from all my inquiries on different pieces of gear from sleeping bags to tents to rifle scopes and he's got connections all over the place, so he, he knows where to send you to get you the right stuff to not only make it so that you can get out on the hunt, but you can be comfortable, get a good night's sleep, and hunt effectively each and every day of your trip, truly maximizing the dollars spent to get there. And I think that's probably the biggest value in all of this. Alex has so much experience hunting all over North America that when he sends you somewhere, you're not going there blind. No, he's going to send you to specific places within these units that he either through his vast network with guides and outfitters or from his own personal experience, his own waypoints that he's saved on his hunting maps that he'll share with you so that you have the best chance at being successful. So head over to www.alexgruen.com. And do your hunt planning with Alex through East to West Hunts. Be sure, though, when you go through and you start checking out all the options. I should say he's got multiple options there, depending on what your the right price point is for you. Be sure you enter the First Gen Hunter Podcast Listener Code, First Gen Ten, at checkout. When you enter that in, you'll get ten percent off of any service you purchase through Alex. Again, that's www groon.com use the promo code FirstGen. the number 10 at checkout save yourself 10% and get going on that hunt that you've been putting on the back burner for all these years
1: yeah so you, you think about 07 and 08 um, you know really it will take Iowa out because that's an anomaly of state in that in my my story here but oh seven, oh eight. 708. Um, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, I mean, all of those states experienced 60-year highs. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about in bird harvest. So we're talking about just 14 years ago, 15 years ago, it was the good old days in much of the pheasant range. And like so many things related to um, the economy and the world, like there's ebbs and flows, Right. right, That was an ebb where it was the hot all time high for CRP and Mm. favorable weather conditions and the birds responded and things have the pendulum has swung the other way. We're at an all time low for CRP acres right now and Mm. and bird numbers have followed. So the good news is, you know, we have lots of winds of change to swing the pendulum back the other way. Uh, something you hear every corporation in America, including some of our great partners in the ag sector, talking about sustainability. Right. All yeah. yep. all companies um, feel the pressure from the American consumer to source sustainable products, whether that's yep. you know the exact commodity like corn, right, or the byproducts. Mm-hmm. I, every everything is revolving around sustainability and companies want to prove that they have that uh, environmental conscience. So that's where, Mm -hmm. that's where pheasants forever and quail forever can enter the picture and provide on the ground solutions to help companies um, in our vernacular, farm the best and conserve the rest. Mm -hmm. Farmers and ag business Uh, they're going to make decisions based on profit by putting their food on their family's table and their kids through college, the same decisions that you make as a teacher and I make as a conservation professional, we have to make, help make those decisions with them showing data. Right. And, you know, we can, we can demonstrate through new technology and new tools, you know, precision agriculture is one of the buzzwords that we use. Um, Precision agriculture and conservation, where we can look at on the ground yield, you know what that acre is producing, and then what the input costs in how much pesticide, herbicide, water, you know everything, gas in the tractor, and you know yeah. far, again it out out the end spits out data that details farm the best, conserve the rest because some of that property, some of that land is environmentally sensitive. It's also not productive. Yeah. It's not producing bottom line profit. And a, a farmer, when they can see it in black and white in dollars and cents, they can make better decisions that also can benefit society at large in terms of planting a buffer strip along a stream or not uh, farming a field uh, or a hillside, right? Where it's highly erodible. And then we develop programs to be solutions, like our saline soils initiative in the Dakotas. Yeah. Right? We've all driven across the Dakotas during pheasant hunting season and see these corners that are just chalk white. Although we yeah. have a conservation program that can help that farmer who's not producing a profitable crop in that corner because of the saline, in, in yeah. planet to habitat, produce some birds, Protect the soil integrity. Protect their bottom line, so they're not driving seed and inputs into it. So, so the, the, the overarching goal here is you gotta you gotta meet the agriculture community, the farmers, um, understanding that they're just trying to make a living too, and conservation can be right. a part of that.
0: Yeah, that's that's very well said, and uh, yeah, they're, what they're doing uh, is is. Vital to our country, you know, our, the, the way our country is set up and, and uh, going right back again to your breadbasket statement. Well, it, yeah
1: and it, wildlife is vital to farmers, right? Like, right. have you ever met a farmer that didn't, didn't enjoy deer hunting or pheasant hunting? Cause I haven't met many, you know, right? I mean, they <laughs> yeah. care, yeah. they care about having birds. They love seeing, you know, prairie flowers and wildlife on their property but again they need to make a living so we as a society need to incentivize conservation and make it profitable in the grand scheme of their decision-making process and that's where i think that we excel as an organization because we we really try to understand that full decision making process and come to the table with hey this, you know, CRP or a buffers program or a walk-in, pro, you know, here's the suite of tools that we can add to your operation. And that's where our Farm Bill Biologist program comes into the mix and, and, and provides some some incentives, whether they're local, state, federal, to, to really incentivize that decision-making process for for making it a well-rounded Farm the best, conserve the rest mentality.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's a good phrase, and uh, it's it's right on. You know, uh, it's got to make sense for for the farmers if it's going to be a good conservation plan. The land of the free is not free. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's it it costs them it costs them money just to, to uh, be responsible for that ground. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a excellent um, service that. Pheasants Forever, and other conservation organizations, for that matter, can offer uh, farmers uh, with you know being able to find value in places that are actually cost, maybe even costing the farmer Mm. some some money, just to to be doing what they are kind of stuck with having to do. At that time, and you can look at some of these different programs that exist, and maybe loosen up a few bucks for them, save them a few bucks, and and wildlife wins then Mm -hmm. too, which is you know tremendous. And of course, what like you mentioned earlier, water quality, air quality, all these other other areas where where you can uh, try and find those win-win situations. So yeah, very very well said. Well, you know we're we're kind of talking talked a little bit of past talking a little present uh let's get out the uh pheasants forever uh crystal ball here and uh you know what's what's kind of your let's start with your um, realistic outlook. So we're going to kind of go backwards here from what we normally hmm. do, but we want to end on, uh, you know, as we uh, trend towards the end of our conversation here pretty soon, uh, we want to end on like this, this fun, like <laughs> happy thought, you know? So uh, what's kind of your realistic crystal ball outlook for between now and the year, I just did this because it was a nice round number and it's enough time where change could take place between now and 2030. Hmm. So we're talking 23 years after that really high point in 2007. We're talking after biofuels have become a major part of, of uh, the agricultural scene. Mm-hmm. We're talking now where, as you said, we're at a lowest point mm-hmm. ever for CRP enrollment since 1985. Where do you see things by 2030? Mm.
1: Okay. Well, so I'm going to start with... You know, in the last 12 years, we've lost 50 million acres of nice. upland habitat, grasslands, sagebrush, prairies, oak savannas in the south. So so we got a real problem in, our, in front of us. But as you, yeah. if you didn't know it, I'm an optimist by nature. And, <laughs> you know, conservation requires optimism. Um, I think it's part of the the. Oh, it's part of the mentality of anybody that really, um, you know, works for a nonprofit and in, in where's this, you know, their heart on the sleeve. Uh, so right. in the face of that habitat loss earlier this year, we kicked off our largest campaign, our crusade for the uplands called Call the Uplands Campaign. So in the short term, not to take us to 2030 in and of itself, but in the short term here, we're going to, uh, restore nine million of those acres. Um, we're going to create seventy-five mm, thousand. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you got to you got to chip away at the iceberg, right? So nine million. Right, that's a big chip. And and we're going to create more public access. One of the beautiful th- things about our organization, in my opinion, is the balance between private land conservation work and public land conservation work. We it, we've touched on how we work with farmers and ranchers and producers through farm bill programs on the private land side. And we've also, on the public land side, we've purchased over 200,000 acres Man. of land that is now um, in state WMAs or GPAs or federal waterfall production areas. It's it's public land open to all. And then the intersection of that public land and private land is walk-in programs, we work on, through the Farm Bill on voluntary public access in, from a legislative perspective. Mm-hmm. But then we also work with states to administer some of those programs. Like in Nebraska, their open fields and waters program. So public land, private land, and walk-in programs where all the they're blended together. And that's one of the beautiful components about who we are. And, yeah. and so, so Call the Uplands campaign is really you know, set up around three pillars that that habitat, um, it's set ar- around advocacy, and it's set around um, the third one is int- education and outreach introduction, introducing the next generation and diverse audiences to the uplands. So so to first part or answering your 2030 question, it's <laughs> it's called the Uplands campaign. Check it out at calltheuplands.org. You can learn more. It's in an, got an amazing film, short film, that you can watch about the, the campaign. A signature component of the campaign is something we introduced earlier this month uh, called no, the North American Grasslands Conservation Act. Mm, yeah. um, it's a brand-new concept modeled after the very successful North American Wetlands Conservation Act. So, you know, most people hear this and say, Grasslands Act, don't we already have one of those? We don't. We need one. Yeah. You know, it's 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 really, really important for us to create this piece of legislation that um, in Washington, D.C., that will become a new tool to protect grasslands, savannas, sagebrush. Um, So that's a really important component in the model. And then as I think about answering, you know, your your longer term question, 2030, I think so much in society swings back and forth. And I'm Mm. really encouraged by how the pendulum has continued to swing back to something that, two things that I've talked about already. And one is, Sustainable the, the, the idea of sustainability at the corporate level, mm-hmm. you know, the consumer is, excuse me, the consumers dictating the marketplace and businesses are following yeah. sustainability and conservation are two words that mean the same thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and really that that, you know, fosters a lot of optimism for me. The other thing, and I tie it back to Aldo, our um, Food is connected to our land. The animals that we eat are connected to our land. Water quality is connected to our land. When you think about folks like Stephen Renella and Hank Shaw and, and so many just wonderfully well-spoken ambassadors who are hunters and anglers who have elevated the conversation of the, this isn't about horns or antlers. Yeah or the longest tail feather, right? right? It's about a lifestyle and an experience and putting food on the table and that that connects. That's where we come in, right? Our our mi- mission is we got to connect those experiences, that lifestyle, that animal to the land, to conservation. And I think that we as in a community, are doing that better than ever, and uh, I think people are listening and open open to it.
0: Yeah, man, that was that was very well said. And you know what? You're right. You are an optimist. Your uh, pipe dream, I think, is uh, also the same as uh, your realistic outlook. So that was going to be my next question, but I'm going <laughs> to guess that uh, those things align pretty well with each other. What what you hope they to have see, to. and what you you're-
1: you have. To. To dream, like if you believe the crystal ball is some Valhalla you'll never reach, then get a different job. Mm. Like, like you have to believe in your heart of hearts that we can succeed, and we will,
0: because
1: mm. this planet needs us to. Right? You know, again, wh- whether you want to call it conservation, sustainability, you know, this is about. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. If if we as a human race intend to be here in twenty thirty and beyond, it begins with pheasants forever and conservation. And that's not preposterous. No, that's
0: reality. Yep. Uh, Very well said. Very well said. Well, as uh, we close out here, um, you talked a little bit about uh, your bird dogs, and uh, you you aren't just a guy who talks about hunting. You do quite a bit of hunting yourself. Mm. So um, can you uh, give us a, a brief introduction of uh, who, you, who you're – you're hunting behind, and uh, <laughs> I like to refer to my dogs as my most talented hunting buddies. But uh, yeah. the, the, uh, the give us a little rundown on your dogs, um, where you've hunted, because I've seen through social media that you've already been out in the field a little bit this fall, looks like, and, uh, yep. and then uh, kind of the last thing where we're going to get information from you, your top three upland states that you like to hunt and then we'll get oh. some info on the podcast and uh why people should join PF. But um
1: that you ask questions like I do like four parters. I'm going to try. You might <laughs> Yeah, no. You I, might have to remind me. So uh, I, might, I might have to edit bird this
0: bird. so I don't sound so obnoxious <laughs> with my uh, interrogation here, but uh um, Yeah, so let's just so start let's just start the easy one. Who are your bird dogs? Um,
1: I've got I've got three. Well, I'll start by saying I grew up as a Brittany owner.
0: Hey, that's my what wife, I got.
1: My wife grew up with labs. It's a little known fact that the marital compromise between a Labrador and a Brittany is a German shorthair. <laughs> um, so uh, we have three of them. Uh, Trammel, who's 14 and a half. And unfortunately, she's she's pretty much retired. Sure. And she really can't bust through the fields anymore. She got uh, pretty, pretty weak back legs. And mm. that's OK. She can she can get a two mile walk in and and. You know she's she's carried a heavy load for a, a while. So yeah. got fourteen and a half year old Trammel. I've got uh, the A team for me now is a seven year old Esky, okay. uh, also a German short hair. and then I've got uh, uh, the B squad coming up. The minor leaguer that's uh, uh, two years old had her birthday yesterday. In fact, uh, cool. Gitchy. Okay. Uh, so I, I mentioned Trammel's named after my childhood Idaho Island Trammel. Esky. Mm. Is named after my hometown, Escanaba, Michigan. All the locals call it Eski. Okay. And Gitchy is named after Gitchy Gumi, um, the Ojibwe name for um, um, Lake Superior. So okay. Gitchy is her name. So I, I'm a I'm a dog named Snob, self admitted. <laughs> I love I love stories behind dog names, and and that's um, real important to me, and something that I, my wife and I spend. Well, at least I do spend hours and hours discussing what the dog names are going to be. <laughs> the, the next part of your question, I think, was where Where have I been hunting this year? Yeah, yeah. Where you been? Um, so I opened up the season uh, September 12th. So I didn't get to Montana or Nebraska for September 1st. But I did open up my hunting in North Dakota, uh, Sharptails, September 12th. Uh, Good bird numbers um, where you can find good habitat. The drought is definitely taking its toll. Um, There's, you know, places that look wonderful. And where you find those places that look wonderful, you find a really high concentration of bird numbers. Um, Then I bounced to Wisconsin for the Ruffed grouse opener. Okay. And I've been back there for rough grouse and i've been in minnesota up in the ely area for rough grouse woodcock and um actually i got a spruce grouse second spruce grouse in my life which are really fun i'd say grouse numbers are just a little bit under where they were last year so decent year um not bad not awesome just decent i'd say uh woodcock um we're chatting here mid-October, and it's the peak of the migration. Uh, it was incredible this past weekend. Um, so the other hunt that I have, yeah, I was in South Dakota for sharptails. In between those rough grouse weekends, I was in um, western South Dakota in, in a very similar to the North Dakota experience where you find good habitat, the bird numbers are concentrated. Um, and I think that's a good Um, indicator for pheasant seasons that are just now starting to open up in North Dakota, Montana, coming up here in South Dakota, Minnesota, and shortly after Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas. The drought, particularly in the northern reaches of the pheasant range, has had an impact. The the harvest is going to be early. Mm -hmm. The combination of the drought... Um, you know, because of emergency hanging and grazing on CRP lands um, and the harvest being early, where you find good quality habitat, birds are going to be loaded in there. Um, I think it's going to be an unbelievable good early season and it's probably going to be a tougher than normal late season because of that. Um, Quail, <clears throat> similar story in quail uh, parts of the the range have had drought um you know particularly i'm thinking about the the southwest um but that's been beneficial for some species and detrimental to the others you could check out the full state-by-state quail forecast at quailforever.org and the state-by-state sure. state pheasant forecast if at peasantsforever.org the forecast is right underneath the hunting tab and again um, same thing on the quail forecast we have all the state by state forecast quailforever.org and um we won't hot spot anything for you but we'll give you a pretty good indication of where to find the info you want
0: sure sure yeah i love that it's a nice breakdown of those different species and uh i don't know if this was your intention but kind of a nice little uh uh maybe a secondary benefit of you giving us that rundown is a good reminder that the uplander lifestyle we could even call it is diverse there's a lot of Mm. a lot of neat birds to enjoy throughout the fall and even uh, that early winter uh, part of the season that um, just are such a fantastic time and if you're a dog owner you you know that uh, you got a bird dog there's no time they're happier than when they're in the field
1: it's really a wonderful way to live experiencing you know being a, a tourist i guess if if you will um experiencing new places new cultures new food right checking things out um with the backdrop of bird hunting yeah. it's uh you know i think about jim fergus jim fergus's book uh, a hunter's road and you know we don't have to write a book to live that experience. We can all day. We, we don't have to take <laughs> an entire fall off of work to do it either. You know, we could, if you're a weekend warrior, string some together over the course of a few years, you can make some unbelievable memories by stepping outside of your, your favorite haunts and experiencing some new places.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Oh, man. Well, this has been such a, a fun conversation. And, um, you know, I could, I I, I could, uh, what what our listeners won't know by the time i'm done editing this we've had our handful of technical issues in this episode and uh it's uh, not the first time it's happened thankfully it doesn't happen very often but this is this is going to be near the top of the list for most technical difficulties i've ever had but uh so i got some i got <laughs> no some worries. editing ahead but uh no i, I don't want to uh waste any more of your time uh, dealing with that and and uh uh we just start again, thrilled that you're on here. I may have to have you back on because there's some other questions I'd like to get to down, down the road sometime. But, um, you know, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, I've enjoyed listening to Bob and, and uh, the content that he's put out through the years uh, for, for quite some time now. And uh I would strongly encourage you to uh, look him up on Instagram, follow along there, but also, Uh, probably even more importantly than just seeing his cool pictures with his, uh, (laughs) his well-named dogs um, would be tuning into his uh, uh, bi-weekly podcast, right on the wing. And uh, uh, how else can people come across good content from uh, the one and only Bob St. Pierre?
1: (laughs) Well, well, sincerely thank you for the kind words. Um, And and I, I really do want to encourage listeners to, to join the organization first mm. and foremost you know it, uh, yeah it's, it's very flattering that folks consume or consume the you know whether it's the podcast or the the blogs um, or Instagram the the whole purpose behind that is to engage people in this organization in conservation And you know I'd love for folks to join pheasants forever or quail forever at pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org, become a chapter volunteer. Um, that's what we need more than anything is per, for people to volunteer. But if if your passion is mule deer or ducks or grouse, you know, join the organization that represents your passion. That Get involved in conservation one way, shape, or form.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: we'd love to have you as part of our organization, but, you know, Yankee fans love the Yankees. And if you're, <laughs> if you're a mule deer hunter, join the Mule Deer Foundation. Just get involved. Um, that's, that's really the purpose behind any of the content we create is to spread the mission um, that we need habitat on the ground, public places mm. for all of us to go, and private lands that uh, have habitat as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the ultimate here is to get people inspired to, to get involved.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, what I think is one of the most powerful things, and I believe I've mentioned this in a previous uh, episode, um, uh, but one of the, the coolest things about Pheasants Forever is it's a very much so a localized uh, organization. So your Pheasants Forever affects that very ground that you're hunting on um, in some way, shape, or form, and the dollars raised at those those fundraising mm-hmm. events stay there and uh, uh go back to helping um preserve the area that you care the most about the area that that uh, you know a piece of belong is, is stored away in your own heart you know as you look at that landscape driving to work uh, hunting um uh, for me looking right out my window that i'm podcasting in front of right now all that land that i i care so much about uh when I when I support my local pheasants forever, I support that. I help preserve that. And um, like you said, we we better have an optimistic outlook because we got to make some changes. We got some. We got to roll up our sleeves a little bit. We got some work to do. We need to be active, but we can uh, contribute to a better uh, natural state of our country. And, uh, therefore that goes back, not just to the things that we like to do on the weekend, but the very air we breathe, the very, the very water that, uh, we water our food with and drink mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, the meat that we put in our freezers is, uh, all connected to that. And so, uh, just a, a tremendous organization that is a leader within that, Movement and within that cause that, that we need to care a whole lot about. <laughs> and, and so make sure you do join if uh, you haven't yet.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's the, the brilliance of our founders
0: was uh-huh. to create
1: a model that empowers our local volunteers with 100% control of the decision-making on uh, how to spend the dollars that, that mm-hmm. are raised locally. And it makes sense, right? I mean, some other s- species organizations, they're like ducks. They migrate from, you know, yeah. Camp Prairie Canada, to, uh, the Gulf of Mexico, or, or, you know, along the West Coast. It makes sense for a different model. Our birds, you know, the pheasants and quail, have a life range of about two, three miles. Right. So a locally empowering model to empower those volunteers to spend the dollars that are going to make a difference in their own communities has been a brilliant stroke of genius for the foundation or the founders of the organization that's carried through to today. And, and, you know, I, so thank you for calling that out. Thank you for asking folks to, to join the organization. So if there's two calls to action that as we close here, I'd love for people to join the organization. Number two, you know, and this dovetails into your 2030 comment mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a wrap up um, the 2023 Farm Bill is not very far off, and that's where rubber hits the road in terms of creating the tools to get more habitat back on the ground. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that any listener can do that has a significantly larger impact. Then they may understand. Is contact their U.S. senators, their two U.S. senators, and their U.S. representative. And and all people are shutting down immediately. I'm not going to contact. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, honest to goodness, ten people contacting their senator and their reps have an impact and say we we need them to say we need to expand the conservation reserve program. 45 million acres we need enrolled in CRP. And if 10 people in Iowa contact the same representative and their senator, two senators, it legitimately will have an impact. So if we can implore folks to join and to fire up their email, um, it it can make a difference for something we all passionately care about. I sincerely can't appreciate you having me on. I'd love to do it again. Um, This is important um, for you to be using your voice to talk to uh, your listeners about things that, um, you know, spreads the audience for all of us because not all you know not everybody's going to resonate or connect with my voice not everybody's going to connect with Steven Rendella um, so I appreciate you having me on and being uh, constantly having Pheasants forever and quail forever folks on to talk about what we do and why it's important um, beyond just you know experiencing a day in the field with a good bird dog and a shotgun that shoots true mhm
0: <laughs> I appreciate that thank you for your kind words again make sure you follow along with Bob and uh, get on and listen to his podcast as well Uh, he's just got some great guests on there great information a lot of stuff related to what we talked about today and uh, when you're done checking out and joining Pheasants Forever if you haven't yet and getting signed up for your uh, local banquets uh, make sure that you head over to firstgenhunter.com follow along with me there join me up on uh, social media and uh, you know pay close attention that our buddy brandon couldn't be here tonight he represents the uh uh east coast for us usually on this podcast and he's had some pretty interesting stories about how uh upland habitat has changed in in his uh lifetime there as a lifetime Delawarean. but um Uh, make sure you head over to thehuntfishlife.com, get linked up with those guys and enjoy the the wonderful content that they put forward thank you so much for tuning in each and every episode and until next time take care and take someone hunting